Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. But the book of Philippians, all the way over here on the right-hand side, it's a small book, uh, and he's talking, the, the author, Paul, is talking to the church about having harmony and, and having unity uh, together as a local church, and, and that's why this kind of mini-series that we're doing verse by verse is called Together, about harmony and unity in the church. We've all been to churches that have not had harmony, have not had unity, and it's a mess, and no one wants to go there, and it's frustrating. So... Uh, but he's talking about a mature church that's growing up, growing up in their Christian faith, and um, the more we grow in our faith, the more harmony and the more unity ought to be within our church. That's just kind of a natural progression. And, and Paul here in this section is really kind of telling us to grow up. Uh, parents, have you ever said that to your kids? Would you just grow up? Have you ever said that? Raise your hand if you've ever said that to your kids. All right, good. It makes me feel better. I say it to my kids all the time. Oh, how about this one? Husbands, has your wife ever said, would you just grow up? Come on, raise your hand. Brad, put your hand up. Going to do sakes. <laughs> grow up. <laughs> of course that. Um, but as we mature, our harmony and unity ought to grow too. And we kind of talked a little bit about this last week. Let me just touch on it for the sake of, of putting the, tying the whole thing together. This is part two really, of last week's message is uh, we talked about the nursery, right? There's babies in the nursery. Are babies mature or are they immature? They're immature. I know some of the new parents. Well, not my baby. My baby's so advanced. Yeah, get over it. <laughs> you know, that's what they all say, you know. Um, they're immature, which is why what? Which is why we need special rooms and special classes with a lot of teachers and a lot of helpers to help take care of them because they're immature, it's what we expect from the nursery. As you grow up and as you get older, you don't need that as much, right? You don't need someone to help feed you or, or, or so forth and so on. We don't need that anymore. Why? Because you're maturing. That's why we put adults in the nursery with babies, right? Because you have a mature person helping out an immature person. Th think of this. Th that's why not only do we not have two-year-olds run the nursery, because that would be strange. It would never work. But think about this. This is kind of a weird thought. Animals can have babies at two-year-olds, but not humans. Why? Because God knew that humans were too immature at two years old. I, that's kind of a weird thing, but isn't that, I mean, that's why you have to grow up to do that, right? But not, not in the animal kingdom, right? So it's this kind of thing. We, we expect it from a, a baby. We expect immaturity, but as a church is growing, there needs to be mature people. There, we need to be maturing. If, if, you may say, well, pastor, I've been saved 40 years. Well, that's great. But have you grown at all in those 40 years? You may be a 40-year-old baby, but are you maturing? Are you thinking about others or is coming to church all about me? What is someone doing for me? How come I'm not being taken care of? How come they didn't ask me to sing the solo? How come I'm not doing this? How come I'm not, you know, it's all about me. Okay, that's being immature. So Paul's really telling us, listen, I want you to grow up. I want you to mature. So I tell you what, um, let's just look at verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, real quick review of what we talked about last week. 
therefore, my brethren, uh, dearly beloved, he's got these really passionate words about the church here. What's he say? Look at those five words. Stand fast in the Lord. I want you to put your feet in the cement, so to speak, in the Lord, and I want you to stand fast. Uh, in other words, I don't want you to slip. What's the assumption? The assumption is that you could slip. The assumption is that there's, there's opposition to cause you to slip. I'm telling you, church, I want you to stand fast in your doctrines and your faith in the Lord, okay? Uh, I, I, the, he doesn't just say stand fast and be a strong, you know, patriot or something. He said, no, in the Lord. Not just stand fast, but in the Lord. I, 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 want, and I want you to be stubborn uh, with your determination regardless of the circumstances. And, and we kind of talked about this last week. It's easy to stand fast in your faith when everything's going well. When your, your person is in office, when, uh, you know, your laws are getting passed, it's easy. The church he's writing to probably doesn't realize it. We know it from history, is about to get into some real tough persecution, okay? He doesn't know it, but you're going to have some hard times, all right? You better stand fast for what you believe. You better not be wishy-washy. You better stand fast, and regardless of what other people are doing, regardless of what other people are saying, you do the right thing. Church, parents, regardless of how your relatives are raising their kids, regardless of how Disney tells you to raise your kids, Disney, like you really want to raise a Hannah Montana? I mean, really? You really no, of course not. I mean, that, that's the best that Disney's going to get for you, just so you know, all right? Regardless of what everyone's saying, you do the right thing determination, I'm standing fast in my faith in the Lord, and I'm going to raise my kids the right way. I don't care what Fox News or CNN or someone in Hollywood says. It doesn't matter to me. I'm doing the right thing. Church, can I get an amen? Help me out a little bit, all right? Amen. Okay. I would think get something out of that. Goodness sakes. Philippians 4.2. Uh, so he goes down. Uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, I beseech Yodius uh, and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, kind of humorous, we talked about this, two women that were having a little bit of a tiff, and, and he's in prison, and he hears about it, uh, and he says, not only do I want you to stand fast in the Lord, you know, what you believe and, and your faith, but I want you to stand fast in unity. I don't want any tiffs in the church, okay? I don't want any cattiness in the church. I, there, there shouldn't be a problem. And again, I'm sure these, these two poor women are in heaven going, don't read that verse. I'm so embarrassed. You know, 2,000 years later, I can't wait to go to heaven and just say, what was the big deal? Tell me. I mean, this made it all the way to Paul. Like, what, did she steal your Tupperware? She take your parking space? You wore the same outfit at the same church service? What happened? I mean, I just want to know. And I'm sure it's pretty embarrassing. I pretty much guarantee you that. Um, but um, but uh, when there's strife, when there's pressure, Problems become magnified, church. When there's stress, problems become magnified. And this probably was, probably, I'm giving them the benefit of that, was probably something stupid, right? But there's pressure, there's, there's, there's opposition, and the problem grows and it becomes magnified. Be very careful about that when there's pressure, uh, job pressure, children pressure, having newborns, uh, a church growing, a church going through a building addition, all these different financial pressures, whatever. It's easy to get worked up, and it's easy for things to get magnified when you're under pressure. It just, that's just human nature. Be very, very cautious and stand together in unity. All right, verse 3. This is where we're picking up today. Here we go. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. And I entreat thee also, 
true yoke fellow, well, that's interesting. We'll talk about that. I tell you, we'll talk about that in a second. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with, uh, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So he's, he's saying this, and I'm entreating or encouraging or kind of begging or, or pulling out the also true yoke fellow. This is interesting. Um, when you study this word yoke fellow, I mean, what do you think of? You think of someone that's like fellow in the yoke, you know, like an oxen has a yoke, like my fellow servant. Um, but, but the structure of the sentence, the structure of this verse actually uh, leads itself or lends itself to that actually being a personal pronoun. That may very well be a person's name. A co-laborer, a, a person that's working alongside them, their name, and maybe throughout the translation, it was, it was just brought brought out as yoke fellow, common yoke person, my guess, that may be the guy's name. It, it just, it's a really good possibility that that's someone's name. Interesting thought. Who do I think that is? Now think of the letter. He writes a letter to the church. Who do you think is the first person to read the letter from the, to the church? The custodian, right? Because they're so nosy, they look at stuff, they just go through the mail, uh, you know, no. The pastor of the church. Paul's writing this letter. And I'm entreating the also, my true yoke fellow, my, my brother in the Lord. Again, probably a personal pronoun. This is written to the, the, the pastor's reading this. And he, he's encouraged, he's saying this. Now, this is a side note. This is interesting. You want an interesting study? Read these letters to the church and notice, especially like Timothy and Titus, those books. Every time Paul writes a letter and talks about the head of the church, he's always talking about what? One person. It's always singular. It's never plural. I'm, I'm, he doesn't say, I'm treating these also group of people. No. It's always, always, always singular. Why? Because two heads is a monster. <laughs> That's why. Church has leadership. Church has a head pastor. Church has the under-shepherd that God's put in. Yes, there's a board of directors. Yes, there's deacons. Yes, all those people help. But there's always one person in charge, okay? Good, bad, ugly, like it or not like it, it's just the way it is. And, and, and he's saying this to this, this church, saying, saying, my co-laborer, and again, it's singular here. And, you know, I, I think this is always interesting because someone has, you know, the buck stops here, so to speak. Someone has to take charge of the church, Every time he talks to Timothy or talks to Titus, it's always singular. Timothy, you take care of this church. You know, it's always singular. But boy, boy, don't people push against responsibility and leadership today? It's just not popular. It's not. The fact that there's hierarchy uh, in the Bible, that, that God gives us structure even within our government. Church, that is a good thing to have hierarchy in government. It's a good thing to have government. It's a good thing to have authority over us. The people nowadays, well, I just don't want any authority. You know, we just, you know, down with authority. Defund the police. <laughs> you really want to defund the authority of, of the police? Really? That's called anarchy. Now, church, get this, and I'm serious. I would rather live in, in communist dictator China or North Vietnam than live in America with pure anarchy. Anarchy without it would be it would be it would be disaster. It would just be terrible. So there's just this response, this, this attitude nowadays. We just want to get rid of any hierarchy, any authority. Male authority is is really bashed nowadays. You know, any authority. Parents, let me just teach you. Teach your kids to have respect for authority. Okay, 
the police officer is the police officer. He's not the, what you call them when you're a teenager, okay? It's not. It's not, okay? You don't, you, you, the school teacher is Mr. or Mrs. whoever. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. No, sir. Teach them to respect authority. God puts authority in place. We have to learn that. And our society has gotten to the place to, to where there's just no respect for any authority. The Bible still puts it in place. It's still there. There is still leadership. And, and we need to, yes, there's a balance, sure. But we need to be teaching our young people to have respect for all authority, okay? Listen, I, people were laughing last week when I said that I invited Governor Evers. I, I literally, I literally invited Governor Evers. Is Governor Evers welcome to our church? Of course he's welcome to our church. Absolutely. <laughs> Probably be the first church service he's ever been to in his life. I did get the reply back, though, that said he, he won't be able to make it. <laughs> but anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? I would refer to him as Governor Evers. I would. If, if, if Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, is welcome to come to our church, and I would refer to him as president. I would, absolutely. What about Barack Obama? What about Nancy Pelosi? Absolutely. And you know what? I would show them respect. I may not disagree with 99.9.9% of their decisions, but I still respect the office. I absolutely still respect the office. And church, as Christians, we, we ought to be the ones that are respecting the office, okay? We're, so, we're respectful to them. We're not, we're not uh, 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 being rude. We're not, you know, hey, Joe. You know, we're just not like that. God, the Bible says that God put people in authority over us. Your boss is your authority. He may be a jerk. He may be an idiot. But God still put him over you for a reason. Maybe God needs someone like that to get your rebelliousness and your lack of submission out of you. How about that? Is that possible? Why did God give me such a jerky boss? Maybe that's what you deserve. <laughs> I don't know. Now, of course, anybody here on staff here at the church would never say that. Amen. All right. I hope you say amen, otherwise don't show up tomorrow. Philippians 4.4. 4. <laughs> I'm kidding. Philippians 4.4. 4. I have a wonderful staff. I praise the Lord. God's given us just whew, amazing staff. Um, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Would you do me a favor? Would you take your pen? This is interesting. Take your pen and underline the word always. I, I think that's interesting. And again, so as if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, but I'll tell you one more time just so you get it. I'm telling you to rejoice, all right? He's not, I'm not mincing words, but member church in context of what he's talking about, he's talking to mature Christians. He's telling Christians to grow up, church, grow up and rejoice in the Lord always. I'm telling you, you need to rejoice, okay? This is part of growing up. This is part of maturing. But, but note, note what he says here. Look what he says here. Rejoice in the Lord. Maybe we should take our pen really to underline those three words. In the Lord. He doesn't just say, just rejoice, but he's saying, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Well, I just come to church and I'm just not being fed. Or just, you know, the church just isn't doing it for me. Time out. Time out. It is not the church's responsibility to do something for you. It's God's responsibility. Rejoice in the Lord. God should be working in your life, not a building, right? Yes, God uses the building. God uses the pastor. God uses your Christian friends. But, but, but don't ever have that attitude, well, no, no one's doing something for me. Well, it's God's work to work in your heart. If you're not being fed at a church, guess whose fault it is? It's your fault. 
right? I don't care what church it is. I just don't care what church it is. There's something on the table to eat, okay? And you need to be getting fed by it. And, and we need to have the foundation of our life, the foundation of our Christian service, always the Lord, never a personality. Make the Lord the center of your reality, not your circumstances. Life is much more pleasant when we do that, when we make God the center of our, of, of, of our reality. God's the center of my family. God's the center of my finances. God's the center of how I serve. God's the center of what I do with my time. And then, and then not, not your circumstances around you, but when God's the center of it, Boy, our life is blessed and things go, go better. Why? Look at that verse. Rejoice when. So in the Lord when? Always. There's no loophole here. There's no wiggle worm. I want you to rejoice. Now, let's talk about rejoicing just for a second. Um, notice what it doesn't say. Can we just be honest about this? What doesn't it say? It doesn't say rejoice when you want to. That's kind of how I like to read the verse. <laughs> rejoice when things are going good. That's good. Oh, that one makes sense. Yeah, you know, rejoice when you get the pay raise. Rejoice when you get a new car. No, it says rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice when my kids, you know, pass their tests or they get a part in the play. No, it says rejoice in the Lord always. But, but, but this is interesting. There are some circumstances in life that, that I don't want to rejoice in. There's times in life are really tough to rejoice. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Um, you get fired from a job? Well, praise Jesus. Uh, I don't know. I can, I can still rejoice in the Lord, but maybe I don't rejoice in the circumstances. Um, I had my, my favorite car. My favorite car is a Toyota. My favorite car that, I, that I've owned is my, is my Toyota Avalon. It's a, it's a 2000, year 2000. Um, that's 20, 22, probably 23 years old, you know. Uh, it's just like my favorite car. And it's clean. There's not a spot, spot of rust in that car. I've maintained it. The interior is like perfect. All the, all the things work on it. Well, the cassette player doesn't work, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but it just, it's a good car. It's got a quarter million miles on it. And the transmission went. You know how long it's been since I've had a car payment? <laughs> okay, I didn't sit there and go, yay, praise the Lord, the transmission's out. Yay, I'm sorry. <sighs> This stinks. It really stinks. It stinks because I'm not going to put a transmission in a 22-year-old car. I took it to three mechanics trying to get them to, to, to convince otherwise. And they're looking at me going, what planet are you on? It's 22 years old. Get rid of this thing. Sell it. You know. But, but I can still rejoice in, in the Lord. I may not rejoice in the circumstances. Oh, my transmission went. Okay, but God, you still got a plan, right? God, you're still going to take care of me. God, it's not the only car in the world. God, there are other Toyota Avalons out there, right? This is not the only Avalon in the world. You know, right? Maybe it's time for me to expand my horizons or my, 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 you know, my experience. And, you know, it's okay. But I can still rejoice in the Lord, but I don't always have to rejoice in the circumstances. My car's broke. <sighs> Crud. Well, Lord, thank you. I, I had a car. I mean, it worked good. 22 years is a long time for a car to run nowadays, you know? I mean, you'd still be thankful for it. But I can still rejoice in him. Or how about a death in the family, you know? Uh, my father passed away a year ago. Amy's dad passed away this summer. You know, we didn't say, yay, they're dead. Isn't that morbid? That's just, no, we didn't say that. Of course not. Were we sad? Of course. Do we miss these people? Of course we do. Is it hard? Of course it is. But even, you know, when Amy's father was passing away from cancer, we still rejoice in the Lord. Just crazy thing, just wonderful thing, able to, you know, be around his bedside literally the last few days, and we're singing hymns, uh, we're talking to him, we're praying with him, uh, we're, we're reliving the memories, and we just rejoice in the Lord for the good things that God's done. 
and, 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 and the good memories we had and the good testimony we had and, and the people with hospice that we were able to give tracts to were able to rejoice in the Lord. But not always the circumstances, okay? So don't, I say that just, you don't have to have this false phony, you know, I'm always this happy, you know, be an honest real person, but still rejoice in the Lord, okay? There's the God in heaven that promises that he'll make all things right. It won't be right down here, but get past the fact that life isn't always fair. Life isn't going to be fair on earth, church, because it's earth, it's not heaven. Life will be fair in heaven. Nowhere in the Bible does God promise that life is going to be fair. Well, Pastor, what about all things work together for good? That's nice. I agree with that verse 110%, but that verse doesn't say life is going to be fair. When life is unfair to the Christians who are serving and seeking God, God will make that unfairness work together for good. How about reading it like that? Okay, sometimes life is just stinks, all right? It just, sometimes it just does. But we still are able to rejoice in the Lord and, and, and under the pressure that we're going through, we can still rejoice in the Lord. And, and you know, this next week, we're going to start this series on overcoming anxiety. We're going to talk just about the reality of anxiety, the reality that there is worry, that there is concern, and the reality that God gives us a way to deal with, not to act like it didn't happen, but to deal with our anxiety, to deal with stress, to deal with these, these really serious issues that nowadays are called mental health issues, but, but Paul addresses it. Interesting, interesting, interesting. We're in the book of Philippians. He's telling the, remember what he's telling the church? You really make me happy. You're really joyful. I want you to grow up. I want you to be unified. That's what he's talking about. And then he gets to the end of chapter four and he talks about dealing with anxiety. And he knew that pressure, anxiety, and, and stress, and these things were going to be real even in the church, okay? Wrong thinking, bad thinking, and just, just overwhelming thinking. And, and so we're going to kind of address the problems, or we're going to hit, start off in Philippians, and we're going to go kind of around a lot of different areas. But, but we're going to talk about it, and I'll be honest with you, the next few weeks we're going to talk about it, we're going to be really blunt, okay? And I'm just going to tell you the way it is, and I'm going to tell you what we need to be doing in place of that, all right? So it's going to be a really blunt conversation that we're going to have. But, but let's just kind of review the, these two verses here so we get it. What's the three things that he told us to do uh, as the mature church? What is it that he told us to do? Well, the first thing, let's put this up on the screen, is, is to stand fast in the Lord. So church, as you mature, as the church matures, as we're growing as a church, stand fast, have strong determination in the Lord. Church, when times get hard, and they're going to get harder, they're not going to get easier, they're going to get harder. When things don't go your way, okay, when there's pressure, when you lose a job, when finances aren't good, when the kids are being bad, when, when you're going through marriage troubles, I want you to stand fast in the Lord. The mature church, the second thing, is maintaining unity. He said that in the Lord. I want you guys to be focused on working together. I don't want there any cattiness or any tips within the church. I don't. I want you to be working together in the Lord. You may not agree with everybody. You have different favorite football teams. You, you, you like different kinds of cars, whatever. But I want you to have unity in the Lord, okay? There needs to be that. And then the last thing he said here in this part was rejoice in the Lord. Notice he said that three times in the Lord. I want you just to rejoice in your money. I don't want you just to be happy in the government. I don't want you to be happy with work. I want you to be happy and have a true sense of joy in the Lord and the things that God's done and how God's taking care of you. And that's what I want. That's, that's, that's a snapshot right there of a mature church. Is a church standing fast in the Lord? Is a church having unity? That's a mature church. Well, pastor, I come from a church that all they do is fight. That's nice. It's not a mature church. It's an immature church. 
you know, uh, that, that's just the way it is. So, uh, very important things he talks about here in Philippians. Now, I want to spend a minute, and I, I want to kind of push through that because I want to spend a minute because a lot of people have been asking me, and I want to just answer the question, just so you know. Um, who knows who was in town last night? Unless you live in, like, a cave and your head's under a rock or something. Franklin Graham was in town last night. Um, I, I showed up. I, I missed, on purpose, the rock concert at the beginning. Uh, i just not into that. I'm sorry. Um, and, and we showed up. I was just, because it was just, he's never been to Wisconsin before. Um, my brother-in-law, uh, Jim, who we watched on the video this morning, uh, did a, uh, ed- actually interviewed him for about two hours uh, last summer or so. And so I wanted to hear how Franklin Graham had given the gospel. Now, it's very interesting to me. Here's why it's intriguing to me. It's intriguing to me because we have people in this church that were saved back in the 70s uh, at the Billy Graham crusade when he came to Milwaukee. And so it's like, wow. Uh, so I've heard, I've heard Franklin Graham give uh, the gospel at his father's funeral and at different places and so forth. And so I kind of wanted to hear it for myself and just kind of see, you know, what does Franklin Graham have to say? L- let me just start off by saying this. I, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with with just the high quality, and I mean this in the big sense, of, of the event that he hosted. He, he, didn't, he didn't do, he didn't cut any corners, let me just say that. As far as a Christian event, he just ran it, very impressive, and it was just really done really well. The, the first half of his gospel presentation, and he spoke for 30 minutes, was on the gospel, that's all he spoke about. I was very impressed with the beginning of the gospel presentation. He was talking about Nicodemus, about Jesus talking to this guy about going to heaven and what must I do, you know? And, and he says, you've got to be born again. And, and he goes into John 3.16 and he talks about John 3.16. Jesus literally having a conversation with an unsaved person, he talks about it. I, and I thought he did a really, really good job on that part. I think that was wonderful. The, the problem that every time I've heard Franklin Graham speak and every time I've heard him interviewed is he keeps talking past what Jesus said to Nicodemus. And he, he just keeps adding things that Jesus didn't say. Like, like literally, Franklin Graham, I love you. I appreciate your ministry. I appreciate Samaritan's Purse. You're doing more than I'm doing. But you're saying things that Jesus didn't say. You, you keep adding. He just kept going. And I wanted to go up there and like unplug the mic and say, Franklin, just stop. Just stop. Like you're good right there. You're good with, you're good with John chapter 3. Just do John chapter 3 and shut your mouth. You know, um, he, he kind of down, went down this road of you have to make a commitment to Jesus. I don't know if any of you were there or you heard it. Um, and, and you have to make a full commitment to Jesus. He said you have to really surrender your life to Jesus. Now time out, church. Time out. Just time out. Time out. If you're a Christian and if you've been to church for more than a couple weeks, you hear those terms and you, I know what he's saying. I, I know what he means. You do because you've grown up with those terms. You've heard those terms. I, I really know what he means even though he said it. I know what he means. That's nice. The event was an evangelistic event meant for unsaved people. Think, church. Unsaved people don't have God's spirit living with them. Unsaved people don't know this book. Unsaved people, church, listen to me, don't just get it what he said. They're unsaved. The Bible says that they are spiritually dead. They, they, they can't get these things. So my concern, and I'm, I'm kind of being critical, but I appreciate what he did, but, but then he went down the road of, of repentance. Uh, yeah, is repentance necessary for salvation, church? Of course it is. Repentance is a change of mind. John the Baptist out there in the wilderness saying, listen, stop thinking about going to heaven the way you're thinking about it. You need to start thinking about going to heaven this way. This guy that I'm going to introduce to you he, he's the savior of the world. 
and, and, and he's going to die in the cross. You've been sacrificing animals in the temple for all these years. Guess what? He's the ultimate sacrifice. Change your thought about it. Literally, the word metanoia means to, to change how you think. Billy Graham went down the road, or Franklin, I'm sorry, Franklin Graham went down the road very clearly of saying, it means to turn from your sinful actions. And that's pretty much a quote. And he hammered on it pretty good. That you, you, you were living this way, and now you have to start living this way. And from there, he went down, he went down a path of, of talking about marriage, talking about sex is only for within the bounds of marriage, and if you're not married, it's not right. And I agree with that statement. He went down the path of talking about abortion, and, 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 and a child is conceived in the mother's womb, and that's God's, that's, God's, uh, that's God's wonderful creation, and it's a life, and we shouldn't abort. And, and he kind of went down the path of talking to women who had abortions, how God will forgive you, and I appreciate his stand on abortion. He went down the fact of talking about marriage. The definition of marriage is one man and one woman, not two women and not two men. And I appreciate the fact that he said that too. That, that's Christian growth, church. That's discipleship. That's not salvation. An unsaved person sitting there, now think. It was an evangelistic event, an unsaved person sitting there who's homosexual or who's living with his girlfriend or who's had an abortion. You just said, I have to change these lifestyles. You, he said it. I have to do a full surrender. I have, to, I have to change all my ways. So in other words, what? I need to move out of my apartment with my girlfriend. I need to stop being homosexual. I need to not think of abortion in the wrong way. That's how an unsaved person hears those things because that church is what he said. Okay, these are discipleship things. We never confuse salvation with service. And, and, and again, I appreciate the, the things that he said in that. I just don't appreciate how it's extremely confusing. Here's why. Someone could have said, well, I believe these things that Franklin Graham said and, and stood up last night. And a lot of people stood up. I I believe an awful lot of people got saved last night. I really do. In spite of the messiness of the gospel, I still believe God's word is still powerful and the Holy Spirit still works and people still got saved because I think the intention was right, right? Um, Dick Worth got saved at a Franklin Graham, uh, Billy Graham con conference. Nancy Brown here in our church got saved. In spite, of, in spite of a confusing term, they still heard the clarity of the gospel, right? Dick Worth didn't repent from all of his sins and change his wicked ways. The guy in the earth that's the least wicked that I know is probably Dick Worth, right? <laughs> you know, you know. But, but, but someone could wake up this morning and say, well, I, still have, I still have these homosexual desires. I must, I, must have, I must have not committed my life to Christ last night. I still enjoy living with my girlfriend and I have no desire to get married. I must not made Jesus Lord of my life last night. I still don't, don't agree with the pro-life view on abortion, and I'm going to vote Democrat, and I'm going to vote left. I guess I don't see it the way that Jesus saw it. I, I must have not committed everything. See, see how that, and you say no. Yeah, that's how it goes forward in people. Trust me, I've been in an addiction recovery program uh, as a leader of a program for the last 18, coming up on 19 years. That's exactly how people that, that think about this. They're, they're going, wait a second. Is it a free gift, or is it I didn't repent enough? So yeah, church, I, bottom line, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad that he gave out more Bibles than I've ever given out last night. He gave away copies of the Gospel of John, and I, I, preach, I appreciate that. There's 5,000 people there. He spoke you know, to more people in Waukesha than I've ever spoken to. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate the fact that, that he made a stand for moral living. I do. I appreciate that. 
I, I'd rather have that event than, you know, the Pope being here, right? Or, or, I mean, right? Or, you know, Dalai Lama being here or something, you know? Um, yeah, sure. What's my personal opinion? Well, I really wish they'd bring back George Beverly Shea, but he's not alive, but I don't, I don't get it. I just, I don't get it. But anyways, um, so in spite of a bad presentation, terminology-wise, I'm glad he did what he did. I, I, he did something, church. People got saved last night. People got saved last night? Absolutely, people got saved. You know, am I going to write the check and start supporting it? No, because I just have a really hard time with the sloppy gospel. If he cleaned up the gospel and stuck to the book of John, I'd probably get behind him. I probably would. But he has a really hard time with that. And every time I've heard him do it, he just keeps getting more and more confusing because he keeps hammering on a changed lifestyle to get saved. Church, after you become a Christian, it's good to change your lifestyle, but you don't have to change your lifestyle to get saved. If you did, that would be a what? A work. be something you have to do. Can saved people still do drugs? Of course they can. Why, why, why couldn't they? You're still saved, right? Can saved, people, can saved people live together? Of course they can. I mean, of course you can. It's not the best choice. It's not a wise choice, but you can still do it. Can, can a saved person be a murderer? Yeah. It's not a good choice. It's not a wise choice. It's a foolish choice. But they can. Why? Because church, you have to understand, a Christian can sin just as bad as an unsaved person. Why? Because we still got the old nature living within us. Nothing, that, that hasn't changed. Not until we get to heaven is our old nature gone. We won't sin in heaven. Okay? There will be no sinning in heaven because our old nature is gone. We'll have just the new nature, or God's nature in us. But right now, the old nature we're born with is still there, and then we become a Christian, we have the new nature, and the Bible says there's a battle. Every decision we make, there's a battle. What should I do? Should I watch this? Should I listen to this? Should I go to this? There's a battle, and the Bible calls it a battle. Paul talks about it. It's, it's a struggle. It's a battle. Why is it I do the things I shouldn't do? Because it's a battle. That's why. There's nothing to do with your salvation. So never confuse your salvation with your Christian service, okay? It's good to do good things, but you don't do good things to go to heaven. Okay? You've got to get that in your mind. Um, and and I've, I've, like I said, my brother-in-law talked to him probably two hours on this, and, and he agreed in the meeting, but then he never changed anything, so I don't know. But look at that verse, Ephesians 2.8.9 says what? Ephesians 2.8.9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Interesting thought. Frank and Graham didn't use this verse last night. I never, never thought about that. But if he would have, it would have contradicted everything he said for the last 15 minutes. You know what I'm saying? It's not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. It, those would have been beautiful words to hear last night. It is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Look at the next verse. It's not of works. It's not of your sexual preference. It's not of having an abortion or not. It's not a matter of who you vote for. It's not of your works, lest any man should brag about it when they get to heaven. The gospel is by grace that we're saved. Aren't you glad that all we have to do is believe? Aren't you glad when Jesus, now think, when Jesus, we've got to be done. When Jesus, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, who is an unsaved person, these are the words that Jesus says to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Nicodemus, that whosoever, Nicodemus, that you, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Keep going on through the book of John chapter 3, and it keeps pounding home the same idea. Nicodemus is not what you do, it's what God did, because why? He loves you so much that he paid the penalty so you don't have to. If there was anything else to the gospel, church, think. 
Why didn't Jesus say it to Nicodemus? He had a perfect chance. He was talking to Nicodemus one-on-one. He could have said, and Nicodemus, you know what? (laughs) You, You better change your lifestyle. Nicodemus, you know what? You better change your actions. Nicodemus, you need to turn from all your sins. Nicodemus, you need to commit your life to Christ. Nicodemus, you need to surrender your life to Christ. Jesus never said that. So either Jesus is lying, or half of the gospel presentation I heard last night was not true. It's one or the other. I don't know. Again, I appreciate Franklin Graham, appreciate him doing it, but a lot of people ask, Pastor, what do you think? I'm just telling you what I think. That's why we, our church has a hard time growing, because I just tell you what I think, and it's, <laughs> I, I just don't pull any punches. It's just, that's just how I see it, all right? Church, keep the gospel clear. Those of you this afternoon, there's a lot of you that are going to be giving the gospel to 1,500 people tonight. Wow. 3,000 people the next two Sundays. There was 5,000 there last night. I mean, that's for a little church like ours, it's a pretty big chunk of Waukesha is getting to hear the gospel in the next two Sundays. Those of you, those of you that are given the gospel, you keep it to the gospel. You've been trained on this. You know this. Use the Bible. Use God's word. Keep what the gospel says and don't get sidetracked. I know you won't. Don't, don't start putting in what you think, but stick to the words of Jesus, okay? Use the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself. Amen? All right. Praise the Lord for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? All right. Let's have a word of prayer and let's be done today. We're out of time. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we're thankful that there was that event last night. I'm thankful, Lord, people got saved. I pray they get involved in a church. I'm thankful that Franklin Graham got up and and said some things that needed to be said in our town. I I appreciate that. Good for him for saying some stuff like that. Amen. I'm thankful, Lord, he gave John 3.16. I'm thankful you opened the Bible last night. I am. I I just, I, I praise you for that. I praise you, Lord, that people got saved. Lord, the clearer we make the gospel, the more people seem to get saved. If it would have been clear, I bet you twice as many people would have got saved. So Lord, I just, uh, I pray for us today as we're going to have our event. Help us to focus on the gospel. Help us to be crystal clear with it. Help us to use the words of Jesus. Help us to stick to these verses about the gospel and just give them. Lord, we're praying that many, many people trust Christ tonight and lives are changed forever. Not because of a pumpkin, not because of a grilled cheese sandwich, not because of a bounce house, but because of the preaching of your word. And the gospel's given. So thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all the people that are serving today. That's for a blessing on them. Give them just a special, special blessing as they sacrifice their time for the sake of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.